Thank you for tuning in to the Curator's Cup podcast, a podcast where creators tell their stories. This podcast is produced by Timber Group. Timber Group is a group of creators who are striving to make the world a more beautiful place through the things that they create. You are welcome here. We're excited to share our stories with you. Welcome back to The Barn for another episode of the Curator's Cup Podcast. This is Trent, your magical radio DJ, breaking it down for our next adventure. This week, I'm joined by design director at the Washington Post, Amy Cavanaugh. Amy is a friend from high school who has been killing it in Washington, D.C. for the last five years. She's been a part of some of the most innovative projects at the Post, from the launch of The Lily, a news brand targeting millennial and Gen Z women, to street artist murals, and much more. It was really fun for me to get to be the journalist for once in our relationship. So much of what I've learned about objectivity and story come from her voice in my ear through the last decade. If you enjoy graphic design and how it plays a part in news media, enjoy frozen pizza, or just love a good story, this one's for you. Here's my conversation with Amy Cavanaugh. I'm from Lafayette, Indiana. That's where I was born, and I grew up in Fort Wayne. I went to school at Ball State University, and now I work in Washington, D.C. at the Washington Post. I am the design director for Emerging News Products. What does it mean to be a design director for Emerging News Products? So the Emerging News Products team kind of functions like a startup within the post. So um, we have the luxury of kind of functioning under the umbrella that is, you know, the legacy media company of the Washington Post. But we've been able to like experiment and do all sorts of different things. So our team created the Washington Post Select app, which is kind of like this bold, like highly visual take on the news. Um, It's a really good way to consume the news. Like even if you're like if you're a casual reader or a news junkie, I think either type of person would like consuming their news this way. We also create content for the Washington Post Snapchat Discover channel. So okay, um, that just, that kind of lives on Snapchat. If you like swipe past the camera, there's like all of these news publishers. We were one of them. And then we also created um, two original Post brands. So one is The Lily which was created for millennial women. And then we have um, our latest travel initiative, which is called By the Way. Um, And that's kind of like a heavy emphasis on like traveling authentically and traveling as a local. Um, So as design director, like I'm managing the four different teams of designers who work on each of those products. Okay. So have you always had a fascination with news and news outlets, or is this something that you kind of have stepped into pursuing other passions of yours? I mean, honestly, no. I mean, I think I've always been interested in design, but when I went to Ball State, I majored in journalism, but I chose the graphics track of that program. So they were teaching us basically like um, how to design and tell stories visually for news organizations, but they were also teaching us um, like how to design for PR companies and advertising agencies. And so I always kind of figured, you know, I'd end up doing something like that. I think just through classes at State, I just really kind of fell in love with the purpose behind journalism and the idea of Mm. a free press in the United States and 
um, it was something I was really passionate about. And that's kind of how I think I wound up kind of shifting my focus from like PR and advertising to journalism. But I always, always knew I wanted to be a designer. Yeah. Do you remember when you found out that you enjoyed designing things? And if you can remember a moment, can you tell us a story about that? Yeah. So my most like vivid first memory is from the fourth grade. My elementary school teacher, she assigned one of the 50 states to every kid in my class. And so I got like Nevada, I think. And she was like, okay. She was like, go learn everything you can about Nevada and then make a brochure about the state. And so I'm pretty sure most kids got like an 11, you know, an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and folded it into three and Mm -hmm. got their markers and started drawing. And I, on the other hand, went home, got on our family computer, um, which of course then was like a giant box. Yeah. (laughs) um, I I, um, pulled up Microsoft Publisher, like not even Microsoft Word. Like I was, it was, this is a whole other level for me. And I found a template for a brochure and I started like changing colors and fonts and putting in like photos and I like loved it. I printed it out. I took it to school. I got a good grade on it. And even like as a fourth grader, like I remember then thinking, oh, you know, I kind of want to like go home and do this for every single one of the 50 states. Like I I was so into it. I mean, like what a a nerd, you know, but I just like loved it. And I remember like we also had this software, like, do you remember those software boxes? Like early 2000s, they were like super chunky. And then like inside of them would be like a CD and you would, you would throw that into the computer. Like we had, do you remember? I don't know. I would, I think when I was, when I was in fourth, fifth and sixth grade, I was playing Call of Duty on the computer. I was not designed, I I was not doing anything productive. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe my family was a little bit behind, but we had like Frogger and we had like Atari. Yeah. Like they came in these like software boxes, but I remember we had one that was, it was like, to design greeting cards. It was from like Hallmark or Seasons Greetings. Oh my gosh. I would take that software box <laughs> and I would play around like Oh all my day, gosh. Like changing fonts and using like terrible clip art to make. Were you like, the type of person that would send everyone their birthday cards via this? Yes. This, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but they weren't That's like, so I would have print them all out, you know, and I would, right. you know, but it was just, even then, like I don't, I obviously didn't realize what any of it was leading to but it's sure. just so funny to look back now and think yeah you little designer you have no idea how far this is going to take you right i don't know that on my computer at home we didn't i don't even think we had access to microsoft publisher did did either of your parents like have to work in that kind of field to or was that just something that you just kind of picked up on on your own so my mom worked in a lot of like office administration jobs so she okay. was really familiar with you know, the whole Microsoft suite of products. And so I think that that's why we had Microsoft Publisher. And I had seen her use it. So I knew I wasn't like coming to it blind. And just the the fact that like a fourth grader knew, like I knew to go to Microsoft Publisher and not Microsoft Word. Like I don't, you know, that's weird. Right. Um, I definitely, (laughs) I definitely grew up watching my mom use that software. And I, you know, my mom was also like huge, like most 
like 90s, early 2000s moms, was huge into scrapbooking. Okay. And so I think, and I, I would do that with her too. And I okay. remember one day she told me, she was like, Amy, you are really good at like picking colors and layouts. Mm. And, and like, I remember having her say that to me and, and kind of, I mean, I remember it to this day. So it clearly had an impact. Sure. Um, yeah. So she recognized yeah. that gift in you early on as well yeah. of even, even just the, the design aesthetic, cohesive, yeah. like you were putting things together and it was, it was looking cohesive and good even from a young age. Right. Right. Don't touch that dial. When we come back, Amy talks more about her experience growing up, shares some stories of high school, as well as how designing beautiful work has been an integral part of her life and how story has become the foundation for her design, as well as a fun high school story involving a frozen pizza and the best ranch you'll ever eat. Here's more of my conversation with Amy. Trans grandma makes the best ranch dressing I've ever had in my life. So I think for my birthday, you made me... A batch of this ranch. Big, big batch of ranch dressing. Huge batch of ranch dressing. Loved it. Um, Great birthday present. I, (laughs) I'm pretty sure, like, I, is it really that I have a different technique or that I just like, it ended poorly? (laughs) Well, I feel like after this attempt, I don't know that you ever were tasked with making the pizza (laughs) again, because we definitely had pizza again. Right. That wasn't the last pizza we shared together, but it definitely was the last time that you that you cooked it so sure we we, we can say it just ended differently we, we can say that i mean honestly there you the thing is like like frozen pizza has gone so poorly for me so many different times we could be thinking of two different stories but the one i'm thinking of <laughs> the one i'm thinking of is i so i i mean i cook frozen pizza like everyone else i take it out of the box put it on a baking sheet throw it in the oven but when I went to take it out of the oven, I guess that I like used so much force and was just like so strong in removing it from the oven that it just completely flew off the baking sheet <laughs> and landed it on the floor. So yeah. <laughs> we still ate the pizza though, didn't we? Oh, we we absolutely still ate the pizza. And I don't. It was probably on the floor for more than five seconds. I'm let's sure. be honest, because it was so hot. Right, like pizza. Melted cheese is like molten lava. And it's like anytime, like, and even, even if you wait 10 minutes to eat the pizza, you still take that first bite and you burn the entire roof of your mouth. Yep. That's just going to happen. So, you know, we didn't just pick it up with our bare hands off the floor right away. We had to, we had to strategize how to get it off there, but maybe we put so much (laughs) ranch on it that it just covered, (laughs) just covered up all of the. Oh my gosh. Those were pre, pre COVID days. No one was that concerned about right a germ floor <laughs> yeah no and i'm i mean i'm pretty sure your mom kept those floors decently oh, clean for sure for, <laughs> for um, sure we obviously went to high school together it was a very right. small high school and we didn't have like a student paper um and so i think yearbook was where i kind of got to do that like graphic designing stuff yeah. and then you know i we were all kind of our friend group was all kind of involved in um student government in some yep. way or another and i yeah. remember i think designing like flyers and things like that mm-hmm. t-shirts um, yeah t-shirts yeah. And stuff like that so yeah okay um and so then when you went when you were kind of choosing colleges and and going into the, even that next step was design a pretty big component of why why you chose where you went or did you just happen to 
stumble onto a pretty prestigious journalism school at Ball State, um, unbeknownst to you? I mean, I think it, it was a combination of both. Like I had decided, you know, design was the right path. What hmm. I was going to do with that, I had really no idea, even going into my freshman year of, of college. And I do think it was like a bit of a, a stumbling into this environment that placed so much of an emphasis on journalism. And that really kind of shaped um, yeah. me during that time and then kind of led to my career now. Yeah. Can you talk me through your process of visualizing something, whether it be a scrapbook or a yearbook or w- whatever it is that you're going to design for? What's that process of something in your head to now something that yeah. is tangible in front of you? I mean, I think maybe the easiest way to explain it would be like through a, like a concrete example. So like last week, for, for example, um, at my job now involves a lot of like management and a lot of things that aren't design. So anytime okay. I do get to do some sort of design, I get really excited about it. Right. Um, so last week I had like a free hour and I kind of took a look at our budget and I realized, Oh, we have this, this really fun story about like summer TV guides. Um, okay. and so it was a mix of like, you know, here's this review on this show. And then here's um, a story about how coronavirus has affected the amount of summer TV that there is. Sure. Um, uh, And so we kind of bundled that into a package and we needed art for that. My process is kind of like, okay, well, I have to convey, you know, a certain number of things in an image at one time. How do I do that? Okay. Um, So first I think, okay, I have to convey summer is number one and TV is Mm -hmm. number two. So I started with summer and I just kind of thought, okay, you know, what sort of imagery can I create that will say, hi, this is summer. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> I, I was like, okay, can I like fill a TV up with like water, like in Photoshop, you know, can I, um, should I put like antennas on something like a beach ball? Like, how can I do this? So I finally landed on like a popsicle. I was like that to me says summer it's like a fun image I I like it so I'm I'm like okay I have my popsicle how do I then introduce like tv the concept of tv um into this image and so I thought well I guess like a tv remote is kind of the same shape ish as the popsicle so Hmm. I took the buttons off of a tv remote and I photoshopped them onto the front of the popsicle so that it looks like they're like etched into yeah, the popsicle. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's really about for me, it's just about being conceptual and thinking maybe a little bit outside the box and trying to combine different elements to create yeah. something that's um conceptual. So yeah. Right. So it's like that cheesy saying a picture says a thousand words. You're essentially going through the thousand words in your head yes. and then having to pick an image it's going to convey those things exactly and do it in a concise manner rather than just having 15 images that say summer and 15 images that say tv you're trying to boil that down to one of each yep and then that's telling a story exactly yeah i love that has story always been something that you have been been interested in and have been a part of telling or is that something that you had to learn um in the process of designing I think I had to learn it. Like the fact that like the story is king, content is king. 
Um, yeah. In my world, it's the journalism. Journalism is king. But I am the type of person who, like, I like being creative, but I also love structure. Okay. And so for me, that story and the journalism, it provides the structure for me in which to be creative. Mm. So I think that's kind of how I... I look at it and I did have mm. to learn, you know, like if these types of emotions or points are being conveyed in the story, like how can I elicit that visually? Yeah. So I had to go through all of that. Process. Talk to me about, yeah. Talk to me about that learning process. I mean, it was honestly, a lot of it happened. You'd think a lot of it would happen in like classes, right? Cause they, they do, there are classes about this. You'll sit there and you'll, you'll look at a, a list on a PowerPoint um, and your professor will show you examples. But for me, I really learned in the student newsroom at Ball State. Um, my senior year, I joined the paper. Okay. And that is where I think all of those concepts started to click for me. And I think I learned, you know, my first year in the field, too. So I was, I ended up moving to Omaha, Nebraska. Um, yeah. Working at the paper there, um, designing the front page. Mm. And I think that's where I really learned a lot about you know, what's acceptable? How do I work within this structure? Sure. Um, things like that. In, in that experience in Omaha, was that your editor giving you the story that you then had to design for, or did you get to help come up with that story? So that is definitely handed down to you. So yeah. you've got um, a massive team of journalists at the Post. Other places it's smaller, but there's always a team of people who are saying, it's the executive editors. They're saying, you know, these four stories are the most important. Yeah. And then they're handing them off and you're figuring out how do I place these um, in a page or how do I design for them to, to create like the image that we want for them. Do you find that that team aspect freeing or, or stifling in your line of work? Oh, I find it freeing. <laughs> yeah. Because, so they, yeah. you know, I'm working in a room where there are tons of people who are just so incredibly good at what they do. They're really smart. Like I'm happy that they're making those decisions and that right. I can help them tell stories and I can help mm. them indicate that, Hey, this is, this story is the most important. And then read this one. And then this one. Yeah. Next. Um, so yeah. I see it as like, almost like, um, a service kind of to journey hmm. them. Yeah. Yeah. You're, it's a collaborative team effort at that point. So it's, sure. not, it's not just the person writing the words. It's not just the person picking the pictures or taking the pictures. And it's not just the person presenting them together. It's, it's all of that into one collaborative team. Yeah. So tell me about a time where the structure of this collaborative storytelling from the editor to the photographer to you as the designer has enabled you to tell a better story, having that collaboration. So I think... A lot of times it helps us tell a better story, but it also protects us in a way. Mm, yeah. um, and I think that comes from like having different people on a team with like completely different backgrounds. Right. So mm. they're able to bring a perspective to a story that I wouldn't otherwise have. What I'm hearing you say is it, it almost is like, especially with something news has the potential to be polarizing or volatile and can frustrate people and having that team almost protects you from being a polarizing voice on either side. Because that would be good for no one to be honest. Right. Right. Um, and so I think it's like, it's really important and it's the reason why, you know, we have really open lines of communication and like feedback loops for yeah. certain aspects of our job that are, are really, they're really big feedback loops. A lot of people get to weigh in mm -hmm. and that's 
a great thing and it helps right. us, it helps us be helps us to be better all of the time yeah in our culture there's a temptation to villainize anyone who thinks different than you do we touched on it in a previous episode with Aaron McKay where we talked about the de-evolution of culture into a neo-tribalism, which we defined as our current cultural context. I asked Amy to reflect on a time in her life where the presence of someone else's perspective changed her opinion of the situation. Before she answered, I had the opportunity to share how her perspective as someone who works in news has given me a bigger understanding. It has helped me be more open-minded towards media and why I'm so thankful for her friendship, especially in that regard. When we come back, here's Amy's answer to a humbling question that forced both of us to admit we don't always know everything. Staff turnover at a coffee shop is a massive stress on the management team, but it doesn't have to be. Creating a culture that embraces the ebb and flow of a coffee shop staffing can be a difficult task. The Timbrook Coffee Group is a consulting agency created specifically for supporting coffee shops. Type timbrook.coffee into your browser, click on schedule your free consultation, and find out how they can support your shop's unique issues from the staffing and training to systems, operations, and bar flow, as well as budget. Again, that's timbrook.coffee backslash cafe schedule. Here's more of my conversation with Amy Cavanaugh from the Washington Post. Yeah, I think I could say the same of like the East Okay. Right? Like, I mean, I lived in the Midwest growing up all my life and then moving to the East Coast, I had this very specific idea of the type of people I would encounter, the type of um, culture that would surround me. And I just, I don't know, living here has given me a different perspective. Um, you know, D.C. is such a transient city and there's a whole lot of people who live here. Right. I also feel like living here has given me the opportunity to kind of maybe understand a little bit about hmm. where like your stereotypical East Coast person is, is coming from. And then yeah. comparing that to like my background coming from the Midwest and really realizing that like there's just not that much, you know, like there's this cultural difference there. But really, when you boil it all down, we're we're all just kind of. Right. Um, we're really not yeah. that different. Yeah. Cultural differences don't have to be a negative thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like we can, we can sit with someone. And, and I think if anyone has had that experience where they sit with someone who has had a different culture, they, they feel that. And, and the things that they thought made them different seemed less and less drastic when you're sitting across from someone and seeing the things that make you similar. Right. And it and it doesn't it doesn't take away and it doesn't mean we should not see those differences, but it teaches us to celebrate them rather than polarize us. Can you tell me your favorite project that you've been a part of since being at the post? I mean, I think the best part of the team that I'm working on is that we do so many new projects like every year. Yeah. So for me, I think I can look back and say, well, last year, like my favorite project was uh, coming up with an editorial redesign for the Washington Post Select app. This is something that like I spearheaded and I came up with, you know, the color palette and how we would use type and what kind of illustration style we would use. And um, last week, it actually, the redesign won an industry award, which was really exciting. Um, That's so sweet. Yeah, it was really cool. And, you know, I came up with with the style guide, but I also, there are three designers who work tirelessly on this app to execute that style. Um, you know, 
seven days a week. So I obviously would be nothing without those three designers, but um, it, yeah, I mean, I think I love branding things. And so mm. the Lily was obviously a project that I got to work on branding. I got to help use the color palette and the type palette and, and do sort of things like that. But I mean, the great thing is that like this time next year, I'll have, I'll have another project that I'll, I can look back and say, that's the favorite, like, that's my favorite yeah. project, you know? Yeah. That's so sweet. It's almost like every your whole job consists of just these different projects that can help redefine and shape your industry and and what you guys are doing. What about that project for you made it so sweet? You know, I think it for me was just like ownership. It was Hmm. just this idea that like for the time being, I could experiment and own it like literally just me and the branding. And I, Hmm. I, there there was a time period where like, I didn't show my bosses what I, I mean, like they knew I was working on it, but I was just Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to just like run wild with this for a bit. Yeah. And then kind of like take it to them and then we'll rein it in, you know? So it was just this like time period of getting to like run wild with like all of my ideas. Yeah. Um, Tell me, tell me a little bit about that time period where you hadn't shown it to anyone. Like how many times did you, take an idea and scrap it like like how many different iterations oh. of yeah just so talk many, to me about that. <laughs> I think I have an internal voice that likes to scrap a lot of things yeah um but you know I would say like three or four three or four times that I was just kind of like no this isn't this avenue is not going to work you have to change mm. course um how? but the guidance from yeah. my boss is really what helps me like hey you, you know you are going in the right direction yes explore this avenue forget about that other one sure. I ended up like really flushing out like maybe two or three of them I mean I I kind of went into it knowing you know I knew my photography and illustration style but it was really like the color palette that that yeah. me up for, for months I mean it mm. was like I was obviously working on several other other things but um, it was a process and so there was a time period where I thought oh we're for sure gonna go this direction yeah. and I showed it to my boss and she was like I don't know I don't know about this like can you try something else <laughs> yeah <laughs> at that point you're just like seriously <laughs> but yeah because you, you know, put all those out yeah 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 what would you say is the best way that you can keep motivated when that internal voice is having you scrap so much you know it it's funny I don't even I don't know that I even view it as a discouragement it's almost mm. like well, now I know that that won't work. So it frees me mm. in a way to work on other things. That's a sweet um, perspective. Yeah. Would you say you've always had that perspective or is that something that you've had to learn? Oh, I, it's definitely something that I think I've had to learn. It's not always that way. Like there are some times when I've come up with something and I think it is absolutely like the right design or the right way to go. And I take it to someone above me and they're like, this isn't it. Um, mm. And I'm sitting there thinking, Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. (laughs) You know, at the end of the day, like sometimes it's discouraging. Sometimes it's freeing. I think when it is discouraging for me, it's like taking a break from it, like literally taking 24 hours and and not focusing on that and coming back to it fresh. Yeah. Next day. In your role, are you the last person to put hands on something or is there a point where you take what you've done and you hand that off to someone to finish? So designers are often the last piece of the puzzle um, Hmm. in a newsroom. In my role now, I'm overseeing designers who are, you know, the last line of defense. Yeah. And so as as their editor, as their boss, I'm not 
that last piece of the puzzle just yet. So I have this ability to, to step in at that last step and say, you know, hey, maybe we need to change something here. We need to alter this. But it is happening at, at, the, at the end of the process. So for the most part, there are other types of projects throughout the newsroom where, you know, you're involved as a designer, you're involved right away. Um, and you're working as an equal partner um, as like a, an entire project is rolling forward. If you've been following along with us this season, you can probably see where I'm going next. This theme of giving up control and faith is, in my opinion, one of the best ways to experience a full life. Anytime I have the opportunity with my guests, I want to get their perspective on situations where they have to choose to either give up control or not, and then how they perceive and feel in the midst of that experience. Here's Amy's response. It's hard because you your role shifts from being the person doing the work to the person shaping the work and shaping the team. And mm-hmm. so you still have like quite a bit of influence. It's just, it looks a whole lot different. Sure. And so for me, it was just, I had to shift my mindset from, you know, seeing something and thinking, oh, I just have, I, like, oh, I just, I kind of want to just grab the mouse or like take over and, and do my thing to yeah. like learning how to ask questions mm. of my designers, learning how to prod them and motivate them and having a dialogue with them to figure out, hey, like, why did you make that decision? Maybe it is the right decision. Mm. Maybe we should go that direction. Or, you know, what, what kind of questions can I ask them to get them um, to change course or to consider something differently? It sounds like you get to do a little bit more of the building of the skeleton of the house yeah rather than paint the walls a certain color yeah have you found that to be more freeing or more constricting you know i that's a good question too i i think it's just different Hmm. um i miss designing sure i think i will i think that'll be a a constant you know it's like Hmm. it's the building block upon which i was able to to build a career and so it's something that I will like always enjoy Um, and it's something that you know I my I have an amazing team and I also have an amazing boss who encourages me to you know take a step back and design something whenever I can sure Um, but you know it's just different being being someone who's shaping the team instead of like doing the daily work yeah I, I find it very rewarding even though it is so different yeah would you consider yourself an artist? You know, I, I actually talk about this with my designers a lot. And what I end up saying to them is you are a journalist first, you're a designer and artist second. Hmm. And so I think like artists have things that influence their work, right? So it could be like their, their personal experiences. It could be their personal reaction to kind of what's going on on in the world and those feelings those emotions those reactions come out in their work sure for us for journalists it's not our own feelings or our own experiences it's the journalism it's the story Mm. that shapes what our art is so yes i think we are artists i think i'm an artist and a designer but i'm a journalist first right so it's almost like your career in order to do it well and in order to to do it with integrity you have to filter your feelings before you can just express them. It's kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not what we create has 
nothing to do with our, our feelings at all. We right. take our feelings out of, out of the equation. We take our, our reactions out of the equation and it's all, it becomes all about the journalism. So every image that a designer creates, they're reading through a piece of journalism and they're saying, okay, like this story conveys this sort of emotion or it's, there's a lot of tension going on in this story between two different groups. How do I, like, how can I convey that? visually in an image that's going to go along with this story yeah um, and so it has really good. yeah it has nothing to do with how we feel oh. and it has right. everything to do with you know what the reporter observed yeah and i imagine that's a really difficult thing to do it takes a really special a really special person and a really special mind to be able i think to separate you know their own emotions and their own yeah. thoughts from the, from that process from the artistic process yeah sure do you have anything that you do on the side that allows you to just express or is most of your energy focusing just to do design um, in your job most of my energy is really focused on on the job mm. like I said earlier I just I don't mind the structure so yeah for me it's it's in a way a freeing thing to have that structure I know that sounds very weird but different but if, than me but it's you, yeah, but to each his own if you know me i think which you do i think it probably maybe makes sense to you i'm a type a personality Absolutely. i that structure is like a, it's a safety blanket it's a comfort to me hmm. when we come back i ask amy to reflect on the most challenging part of her job which leads us into another common theme for our podcast receiving feedback Stay tuned to hear Amy reflect on leadership and how her first boss at The Post prepared her to thrive in her current position. Here is the rest of my conversation with Amy Cavanale. It has nothing to do with design. Like, I think that's my, like, safe place that I'll always come back to. And I think the, the most challenging part is just figuring out how can I best relate to the people I manage? Hmm. How can I serve them the best like what are their what are their strengths how can I highlight those where can I place them on my team um so that they'll be doing their absolute best work um and you know like what are their weaknesses and how can I help them improve in those areas so that like they can go far in their career I think I had a boss and have a boss now who you know they're really good at at doing that with me and so I want to pass that along to others I want to help um people grow and advance in their career and also just enjoy the work that they're doing. Sure. So tell me about a time when your boss stepped in and, and either asked you a, a question or gave you a piece of critical feedback that maybe in the moment was hard to hear, but actually helped develop you to be a better designer now. You know, it's funny. I can think of times when I got feedback on like relating to others or um, just the way I get give feedback, I can think of, I can think that made me better, that has made me a better manager. I can think of fewer design examples, but, okay. you know, it's those, That's fine. my boss, her name is also Amy, so it can be very confusing. She is not my boss anymore. She actually left the post a few months ago, but the majority of my time spent at the post has, was spent um, reporting to her. And I think maybe two or three years in she had a conversation with me just kind of about my countenance and how I give feedback to others and soften my words 
give critical feedback, but do it in a really concise, helpful way. Hmm. And so those things, I think, really prepared me to step into her role when she left. How would you encourage the artist to, who maybe has a hard time filtering out their emotional experience in order to create something that is a little bit more objective um, in order to help other people process through difficult things? Yeah, I don't think artists should filter out their emotions and their experiences. I think when you're working on an editorial project as an artist, you, you kind of have to do that. Sure. Um, so I would encourage, I guess, those artists to like, you know, when you're doing something, when you have a message or when you want to like invoke something in another person, like never filter out your own experiences, mm-hmm. never, I love that. never filter that at all. But like, if I, I mean, you know, we hire artists all of the time to work on stories for us and, and, in that type of a situation, you know, you, you kind of have to play within the structure that we give you. Yeah. But the great thing about that is that your work is going to be seen by a whole lot of people, a right. whole lot of people. And so, you know, maybe it's really difficult to work within that structure for that specific project. But think about the fact that that structure is going to put your work in front of a lot of people's eyes. And maybe then they're going to want to follow you. Sure. Maybe they're going to want to get to know you a little bit better. Maybe that's going to lead them to see some of your other artwork that maybe, you know, you, where you have been able to express yourself fully. Sure. Yeah. I think that's, it brings to mind the mural project. You hired an artist to come and do this work Yeah. and it's absolutely magnificent, like breathtakingly beautiful. And I imagine that when people find out who did that, they're going to then go and find this artist and, and have access to the, the whole other gambit of their work. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I, again, I think, I think it's super important to just continue to hear people's perspectives and I'm really thankful that you were able to come on and, and do the podcast with me. Yeah. On the... It was fun. I've never done a podcast before. So yeah. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to the party. Amy and the entirety of my time knowing her has been an incredibly grounding voice for me. I'm really thankful for her willingness to come onto the podcast. I loved hearing her story of how the feedback she received early in her career at The Post has been a major catalyst for success as she's taken over the role of being a manager and providing the structure for her team to thrive in. The work that she does is amazing. If you've read content from The Washington Post, either on Snapchat, the apps, or through one of their brands in the last two to three years, you've seen content that has come across her desk at some point or another. We didn't talk about it in this episode, but I wanted to tell a quick story of how Amy and I reconnected after high school. Picture this. I'm riding my bike home through downtown Denver one night, late after work, listening to music on my headphones, and when I received a phone call. Because my phone was in my pocket, I didn't know who was calling, so I picked it up almost immediately to hear a frantic Amy on the other line. To my knowledge, we hadn't talked in probably a couple years, so... I was a little surprised to hear her voice. You'll have to fact check me on how long it had been, but it had been a bit. When you receive a phone call from someone that you haven't spoken to in years, normally the first thing you do is catch up a little bit. How's life going? Where are you these days? Questions of that sort. When I tried that, I was silenced. I'm not talking to catch up right now, Trent. I have big issues on my hand. All right, okay, Amy, what's up? No worries. There's a mouse in my apartment and I don't know how I'm gonna get it out. I almost fell off my bike laughing. Since that night, we've kept in touch and have been able to walk through some sweet experiences together. 
I'm deeply thankful for her grounding voice when it comes to the world. So if I can give her some grounding when it comes to rodents, we'll call it even. Thanks for tuning in to this week of the Curator's Cup podcast. This is Trent signing off until next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Music for this season of the Curator's Cup podcast is brought to you by Whitaker. To listen to more of their work, go find them on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere music is sold. You can also find them on their website at whitakerband.com. This podcast is produced by Timbrook Group. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, share us with your friends, let us know what you want to hear more of. You can also support our podcast by going to our website, timbrook.group backslash podcast, and clicking on support or by emailing us at support at timbrook.group. Thanks for listening, and keep on creating.